0: Welcome to Power of the Mind Podcast, hosted by Ryan Sipes in conjunction with Stephen Denise Hatch. This podcast reveals the mindsets of winning warriors and sheds light on the mental side of racing and life. Hey guys, it's Ryan Sipes, and I'm back with the Power of the Mind Podcast. Zach Osborne is our guest today a guy that's been through it all on and off the track. He's won titles and been at the very top of the sport, but also experienced the lowest of lows. He's a smart dude. Uh, He's learned from it all and was just gracious enough to come on today and tell us about it. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, Thanks to Zach for coming on, and thanks to Steve Hatch Racing for sponsoring our pod and making it happen. Also, stick around to the end for your discount code from powerofthemind.coach where you can get 50% off any of their programs to help you be a beast on and off the track. Alrighty, let's get to it. What's up, Zacho? How you doing today? Yeah, man, doing good. Uh,
1: just uh, sitting out this hurricane here in Florida. It was only cat one, so staying at the house, did a little bit of training this morning on the spin bike and uh,
0: hanging out with you. Nice. Well, staying in shape. I like to hear that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I went through a period where I gained some weight and um, didn't train for a while and like the less I trained, the worse I felt. So, uh, I decided to kind of get back on it here late, late in the summer, lost like 20 pounds and, um, yeah, feeling good again.
0: Nice. So you did, uh, you kind of retired after last year, uh, you jumped into racing all kinds of different stuff. You did some off road and some moto stuff. Um, what did you have? A, did you have fun doing that?
1: Yeah, I had a great time. It's been a, a cool year, a cool transition year, kind of out of full-time racing. And, um, I've enjoyed it. You know, i got to do a lot of different stuff, GNCCs, works races, motocross, a little bit of everything. Right. So um, I've really enjoyed it. Got to do some bike launches with Husqvarna and uh dealer show and just different stuff. So it's, it's been fun.
0: What, uh, what was your favorite race or type of racing, I guess this year? I,
1: you know, I really enjoy like the woods, woods off roads uh, racing. Um, I think when I ride motocross, I just have such a, a, A picture of what it can look like when you're when you're fit and when your your bike's good and you know everything's flowing and um it just doesn't feel like that anymore so uh the the woods racing is something i've always kind of longed for and um to have the opportunity to go and meet new people and kind of just see different sides of dirt bike racing uh has been really fun for me and i I feel like i'm always kind of learning and progressing so it's not such a, a hurdle in my head like oh that sucked or you know, you're not fast there anymore or whatever. So for me, um, I, I really enjoy the woods racing.
0: I think I I feel the same way when I go to do things that I'm not good at, even though I suck at it. It's super fun because the, the learning curve is so steep. It's like you're always, you almost always are getting better. Where in moto, that's not the case. Not this late in somebody's career.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, now it's not really about like, hammering I guess it's more about learning and having fun right so anything that I can do that that kind of puts me in that position uh it feels good
0: yeah heck yeah cool um so I want to start all the way back, back at the beginning um everybody kind of knows your dad raced cars how did you get into riding dirt bikes
1: yeah so uh just the average PW50 story right like everybody starts on a PW50 or has a PW50 um, I had a PW and uh, also like a 70cc quad that I rode kind of around the house and um, just piddled about on, you know, and uh, both my uncles raced and um, my dad had a bike and eventually we built a little track at our farm and kind of just started riding a little bit. And then I think I did my my first race when I was like six or maybe seven years old and um, went to Loretta's uh, for the first time in 1998, which was sort of the first year where we traveled a little bit you know away from home and um outside of like racing at muddy creek and the local fairgrounds races um that that was kind of the first year where we went to loretta's and um yeah started to progress from there
0: cool did your dad ride their bikes at all or he rode a little bit um he he
1: rode when i first started riding like he had a a motocross bike and he was um you know racing kind of locally whatever you know at in the 30 plus class or, you know, whatever he was, uh, able to ride. And, uh, one day we were at the the farm I was talking about and he had a big crash. He managed to endo like on a step up, he endoed like to where he hit on the front number plate. So like, mm. I don't even know how that's possible, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, um, messed up his kidney a little bit and was kind of, kind of jacked up. So that kind of ended his, uh, his career of, uh, racing motocross. Yeah. Anyway.
0: So then how did you, because if you started at seven, you raced a Loretta's. you had to be eight years old. How did you get so fast without like a dad that did it or or whatever? Was it just, Yeah. That I don't know. It just, it came to me really easily. Uh, basically
1: my whole childhood, um, yeah, all the way up till I was pro the first, you know, the first year, basically, it was always really natural to me, really easy. And, um, I just, Hit, hit that spot at Loretta's uh you know I got third the first year I went there and um picked up some sponsors and kind of progressed from there um that sort of put me on the fast track to you know getting to race pro
0: yeah that's awesome um it's crazy to go your first year at Loretta's and get third I mean most guys struggle to even make it and uh you're going in with a third but they had to help um just kind of put you on the map with a lot of the companies at a very early age um you know as far as your your future and stuff and getting sponsorship
1: yeah i felt like um we were way out of our league right like every person is the first time they go to loretta's on a 50 we didn't really know what we were in for or what we were getting ourselves into um but i ended up with like getting a a fox ride out of that and um that kind of progressed into um my parents were working on building a motorcycle shop at the time Um, and that kind of turned into a KTM ride and then, yeah, I progressed from there just up through the ranks of, uh, of the KTM world.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so did, did you have a favorite rider as a kid?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, Brownie was my guy as a kid. Um, I really looked up to to Brownie. He was the local pro, um, who kind of made it past racing at Muddy Creek and, um, doing like local stuff. So, uh, he also wrote at my track a lot. Um, at, at, when I was younger, he didn't really have a, a track, so he rode there a lot. So I saw him a lot and, uh, just his work ethic and all the things that he kind of looked like or represented were where, where I wanted to be when I grew up. you know?
0: Yeah. That's a good guy to a uh, good guy to look up to. I would say he's always been a, been a, a beast and he still is. Yeah, he
1: is. He is. He's awesome. Uh, You know, I I just remember as a kid, like him never showing up with a dirty bike or a dirty helmet or dirty boots, like he was always so professional, so clean and organized and just, um, the work ethic that he always had and really still has, you know, he still trains a ton and rides a ton. And, um, it was always for me just kind of the benchmark, you know, was, was Brownie.
0: Yeah. It's cool. It's good to have a guy to look up to, I guess, when you're young and kind of like you said, if you're looking up to the right guy, you're picking up the right type of things that you need to do, like not showing up with a dirty bike and always being yeah. professional, which I think you always have been. Um <clears throat> cool. So you uh you won a bunch of amateur titles. Um, how many did you get at Loretta's? Only one at Loretta's. Um I, I had a lot
1: of seconds at Loretta's. Um, never really put it all together um there were two titles in 2005 uh my last year there in uh schoolboy which was schoolboy one and two both were two-stroke one was stock one was mod and uh went into the last moto with a chance to win both of them well in in the lead to win both of them and um ended up with neither of them so um that was a a big blow to me uh for for a while mentally
0: yeah so was it was it something was it like do you feel like it was your fault like you kind of faded mentally or was it crashes what was it no i didn't crash in either moto um in the first
1: moto um it was winner take all between dungeon I, i think we each had a one three three one or something like that and he straight up beat me um to win the championship i got second by a couple of seconds and then in the other one um i had to get like I don't remember. I had to get like third or something to win if Stroop won and um I got fifth, but I literally was like leading and went backwards to fifth or something. I, I don't remember uh exactly, but it just was, yeah, it was they were both all on me.
0: Yeah. So that's uh that's tough when you're young, I feel like. Um, but I just want to say that like for the people listening that um sometimes it's better when it's your fault because you can it's better if you embrace it and go i'm going to fix this i'm going to get better because if it's if it's something else if your bike broke or you know first turn pile up or something it's easy to just go oh you know that was even if you rode bad but well i was in a pileup so it was something else i don't have to so it's it's always better to kind of embrace that and i think um we i we all get better as we get older at dealing with that kind of stuff, but I'm sure it was pretty tough as a, as a young kid.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it always came really easy to me as a, as a kid leading up all the way till till I got to pro, like I said, but, uh, it's, that was the first time where I really just got beat straight up, you know, like without something happening or, um, especially in a moment like that, where it was for Loretta's title. And, um, I I really needed those titles, uh, you know, at the time it it felt, it felt like my world was caving in on me, you know? So, um, it it was tough to accept and I, there was no excuse. My bikes were great. Everything was perfect. It just, I didn't get the job done, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, do you think you said that that stuck with you for quite a while? Like, do you think that affected you for a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was very much like a talent kid um where didn't really work hard didn't really um train didn't really have a program I just kind of worked at the shop during the weekend raced on the weekends and was you know the best in the nation basically um and at that point those guys had kind of adopted programs and um you know we're were at facilities and all that stuff and um I just felt inadequate for a while like I, I wasn't doing the same things they were and I wasn't as equipped as they were as far as training and stuff goes. And, um, yeah, it stuck with me and obviously the the beginning of my pro career, um, was very much not great. And I think that that was partially because of those two championships or that race at Loretta's, um, because they, they affected me so, so much because I just never quite got ramped back up before I went to pro. And I was maybe running from them a little bit, um, r- not running from them, but running from like meeting that e- sort of head on, you know, I went to the A class right after Loretta's and then went to Daytona Supercross right after that as a 16 year old. And um, I just never quite got ramped back up to a level where I felt like I was in front of the the curve or, you know, progressing um, like I should have been when I turned pro.
0: Yeah. So kind of like your it was backward momentum. Because of that, like you'd never you it'd be been a, obviously better to win that and build momentum into kind of your pro career. Do you think yeah, so yeah, like literally from
1: Loretta's in ninety eight till that point, it was kind of like this upward trend, right? Like I was trending up and that was like a big moment where it was like a, a dip or a down and I just never got that going back the right direction before um, before I turned pro
0: did, uh, would you have waited another year if you had, uh, had to do it over again to go pro? If I had to do it over again,
1: a hundred percent, I would have. Yeah. And I would have, you know, um, there was just some, I wasn't really in the spot where I needed to be, to be turning pro or like, you know, training wise and all that stuff, obviously that was non-existent and, um, needed a lot of work. Um, so, in you know, in hindsight, I would have done a lot of things different, but also this this is my story, and um I'm definitely proud of where I where I ended up and where I've where I've come to. And um I I wouldn't really change it for anything at this point.
0: Right. You've you've done okay, I think. <laughs> um, but it it makes me think of kind of the guys coming up. Um if you you kind of want to be on that upward. You know, and building confidence and stuff. And if you get to Loretta's or, or whatever your last you think your last amateur race is going to be, and you're you're not as good as you think you are, you know, it's it doesn't you don't have to turn pro at 16. I hear yeah. so many guys being like, oh, you if you're not pro at 16, you're you'll never get noticed. Well, you'll never get noticed if you're in 25th. Yeah. But if you're 17 or 18 and you're in sixth, fifth, yeah. you're going to get noticed. Yeah, that's exactly
1: right. I think that nowadays there's a much more uh straightforward trajectory or trend or whatever you want to say for how those guys get to the pro level and um the programs that they're on when they get there. And um I, I think that there is is a much better like feeder pipeline for that stuff than when I was there, especially like uh there was basically nothing. It was like, okay, are you ready or not? And here we go, and you're not ready and you're gone, you know? So um, to me i think that you're exactly right you don't ever you don't have to you know i I thought for a while that that 16 year old pro thing trend had stopped but now it seems like it's kind of come back um a little bit in the last two or three years where guys are trying to go like as soon as they go a at loretta's they go pro and then they're in supercross and then you know they're off to the races but um for a while I felt like there was like some 19, 20 year old guys that were getting rides and leaving Loretta's and, you know, that, that maturity level from 16 to 17, 17 to 18, like all those are big steps in, in life and um, bodily and, you know, just mentally and all that. So uh, to me, there's, there's a sweet spot for, but it's each person, you know, each to each their own um, where that sweet spot is.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it makes if you're if you're ready at 16, like speed wise and stuff and maturity wise, where you're not crashing your brains out every other moto, then it makes sense if you're ready. But if you're not, then don't do it, you know, because a lot right. of guys would be like, oh, well, I got to go anyway, even if I'm not ready. And you, you don't. And that's actually a, like the wrong thing to do. I didn't turn pro titles. I, I didn't do my first pro race till I was 19. And I mean, not really? that I was, I'm definitely not, a, not have not been as successful as you, but I had a decent career, you know, and I got, it's yeah. Just, what matters is when you show up, you need to be ready and you need to put in results because if you, if you show up and you don't get them kind of your first or second year, then, you know, it's tough after that.
1: Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, I mean, suggest success is, is subjective, in my opinion, you know, to, to where you've, where you've been and the circumstances and kind of only, you know, those circumstances really only you and your closest people, you know? So to me, I think you're, you're extremely successful. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it's, you, you've got to make a make a stamp or make an impact as soon as you get there. And um, if you aren't hundred percent that you can do that, then it's probably not the right time. Right.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, you turned pro at 16 um, that first year, I don't think was as, was it as, did you expect better? I don't know
1: what I expected. You know, I I went in with high hopes and um, actually got six at the first moto uh, in the first moto at Hangtown. Legit, um, got six. Like went out, got a good start, and um, got a sixth place. You know, uh, second moto I fell over in a corner and broke the clutch perch off, so that, that ended my moto or my my day. But um, yeah at that point things felt pretty good right like daytona i did that was my first race daytona supercross in 2006 and um my my goal was to make the main like looking back that's a terrible goal for like <laughs> what i was trying to do you know like i was going on to a factory team the next year and um and none of it really made sense but i made the main got 14th after a first turn fall like it, it went quite good you know so um then hangtown i got a sixth and um a dnf so like it was looking positive, like kind of trending up for the the rest of the season. And um, yeah, it just never really materialized. I got hurt. Uh, I hurt my thumb, like broke a little bone in my thumb. Um, I want to say High Point was the second round, but I don't really remember um, exactly which one was second. But at High Point on amateur day, I was riding to get some extra track time and uh, fell over in a corner and broke my thumb. So I couldn't race for a couple of weeks. Um, Came back at Southwick, had a huge crash in the first moto. Um, and just never, it never really got any better, um, until the Bud's Creek thing where I pulled the whole shot and led, I think 15 or 18 minutes of the moto and then, um, faded so bad. It didn't even score points. So that, that was the, the nail in the coffin for 2006.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the race, the Bud's Creek, um, that was how, I guess, take me through that race in your, in your head.
1: Yeah, um, I think – I'm pretty sure I had to do uh, – I'm pretty sure there were still, like, Saturday qualifiers then. So I ha- yep. I did a Saturday qualifier, and I, I want to say I was first or second. I think for some reason I want to say Nathan Ramsey won. He was on the, the KTM team, and I was – at that time, Red Bull had a thing where you couldn't be um, – couldn't be affiliated with red bull until you were 17 or something. So I wasn't really old enough to be on the team. So I did, I rode out of my box fan, like off the back of the truck. Um, but anyway, so I think Nathan won and I was close to second or something. I don't remember that the Saturday qualifier had gone well and it was like forecasted stupid high temperatures and it, it ended up being that. And, um, yeah, I remember just pulling the whole shot and like really just, you know, it was quite easy. Um, and, all of a sudden like just it wasn't easy anymore and um i was like really really struggling just to make laps and get around and um yeah just bonked like you know faded whatever you want to say and um i went to the asterisk thing after and i think i got like five bags of fluid because i was so dehydrated and um it just kind of opened up a pandora's box of of issues for me
0: yeah uh issues i would think like i mean physically did that affect you for a while oh yeah it affected me for
1: a long time i don't even know i don't even know if i did any more races in 2006 after buds creek maybe one maybe still city but i don't really really remember um because the whole year was just like chasing chasing ghosts basically like i just never felt good again and um i never had any energy i was sleeping a lot and um sort of plunged myself into chronic fatigue and um then i found out i had exercise induced asthma and i was gaining weight and it was just like you know one thing after the uh, the next um and i yeah it was it was just a waste of a year honestly
0: yeah well that had to be tough on you mentally too because you're kind of this new guy coming in and you have this one bright spot and then it you know, all this, it comes crashing down and then it never kind of came back for a little while.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said a minute ago, it, it kind of all started with those two, uh, the loss of those two championships at Loretta's in 2005. And, you know, the, the downward trend started there and like, yeah, there were some, like some bumps that looked positive, but just never really took off and never really got back to, uh, any sort of of fitness or, um, feel or like I just remember going to the races and feeling so like out of place or like inadequate. Like I was, you know, I didn't really belong there. And um, it was such a tough period for me where I just I felt so far from where I needed to be or where I wanted to be or where I should be. And I didn't really have a good roadmap how to fix it and nobody else did seem to either, you know.
0: Yeah, I've uh I know what you mean. I've felt that way. And that's the worst because in your mind you don't see any way out. Like there's no bright, there's no bright spot or like light at the end of the tunnel. You're just, it's like, you can't get away from this avalanche. You're just not, not. Yeah. It's
1: like you're stuck in a a dryer, right. Or a washer, like you're just going (laughs) around and around and nothing's getting better. And, um, it's, it's so easy to just get down. Like you you can't get fitter because you feel like crap. You feel like crap because you can't get fitter. And, you know, it's just like this vicious cycle of. Things happening around you and in you and with you and it's just it's tough.
0: Yeah, tough spot to be, man. Um, but <laughs> two thousand and we'll talk more about it. But uh, two thousand seven, you were factory KTM, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I was fully on on the on the Red Bull KTM team, um, and um, yeah, had a, you know a relatively okay rookie Supercross season, like some big crashes and all the rookie things Um, still was not really in shape. I I did the two Canadian rounds that year. I think you won one of those, right? Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, I did both of those and got on the podium and kind of went into the season feeling pretty good. And um, I think I got maybe a sixth or a seventh was probably my highest finish of, of 2007 in supercross. And it was decent, you know, like it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Um and then did you struggle uh, in the whoops? Yeah, I did. Um a rookie, lot.
0: Rookie problem.
1: <laughs> well, rookie problem, and we were riding uh PDS bikes, so yeah, that don't help, help things much. <laughs> um, but overall I would have said it was okay, you know, it wasn't like some overwhelming success where I won or got on the podium, uh, you know, other than the Canadian round, but it, it wasn't as bad as 2006 outdoor season, you know. Yeah.
0: So what about outdoors in 07?
1: Outdoors in 07, um, I got started – it never really really came to fruition. Um, I started out at Hangtown and was – I don't think I scored points in either moto. Like, I was terrible. Maybe I got, like, an 18th or 17th in the first moto, and then I was, like, 25th in the second moto. Um, What was after Hangtown? I want to say High Point was the next race, and I was super sick and just – feeling like crap. And, um, I don't think I raced either mode that day. Um, and then just the, you know, the trend from Loretta's was still, there was some bright moments, like I said, but it was still like from here to here where I was, was like a downward downhill trend, you know? And, um, yeah, it's just, it's so hard to reverse that momentum when it starts to happen that way. Um, and I think I did maybe I took some time off during the summer, um, to, to get in shape, um, met, uh, Dr. Edwards, who's a really good friend of mine still, you know, almost 20 years later. And, um, we made some gains with my fitness. And, um, like I said, I found out I had an exercise induced asthma and, um, just kind of really got on a training program and, and was doing good, was in, in really good shape and, um, went to Undilla, which was like maybe the seventh round and, um, messed up a disc in my neck. I didn't even crash. And, uh, had a bulging disc in my neck and it was like on the nerve to my arm. And, um, yeah, so I'd done all this work and was finally in a really good spot to be able to, um, maybe like show some results and some promise. And, um, then this freak thing happens with my neck. And so that cost me a couple more rounds. And then I think I did the last race of the year, which was still city. And I don't know, I did decent. I think I want to say I was in the top 10, both motos or definitely one of the motos and, um, kind of felt good and then um at the end of 07 they let me go uh because the economy was kind of tanking and um it just was an unfortunate situation with some management changes and uh yeah it it sucked
0: yeah well I got a question and maybe I'm way off on this but so 05 you have the Loretta's thing 06 you have the kind of a just a bad year the meltdown at buds creek um but oh seven you you made it through supercross and you did pretty good then you go to outdoors and it went way down again do you think that i mean sometimes it's just like new surroundings can kind of like lift you back up do you think supercross being just a fresh thing kind of you did better but then when you went to outdoors it was kind of like oh yeah it's outdoors again like i have issues with this not not that you you know what yeah. i'm saying like you've had had prior um failures well i think the supercross like
1: the the fitness wasn't quite as important like at that time you know it was only 15 laps and um i was still fading at the end of those 15 lap motos you know and uh but definitely outdoors you know if you have like a a small cut it's going to open into like a gaping wound and that's exactly what happened you know i went racing and i was I was cut, but not bleeding. And then after the first race, it was just like, you know, it was bad. Um, so I think definitely, like you said, a little bit of change of scenery was good for me, but also the issues from 06 never resolved going into 07 when things could really show up, like, you know, outdoors in the heat and long motos and all that stuff.
0: So more of a fitness and health thing than like a mental thing
1: yeah, no doubt fitness and health was, was not in a good space. And, and obviously when you're not fit and not healthy and you know that your mental space is not great either. So, um, all those things kind of go hand in hand in my mind.
0: Yep. Cool. Um, so you, you left KTM, um, 08, you rode for Yamaha Troy, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, at the end of 08, uh, at the end of 07, um, KTM let me go, like I said, and, um, there was nothing there was no rides all the teams were like oh we don't know if we're going to race or not because all this economic stuff and um i ended up on a a ride at yamaha troy um no salary um i think there was bonuses but uh it wasn't much it was it was pretty minimal you know um and yeah um, just started set into the season um was actually riding me really good was in pretty good space and Was enjoying a change of scenery and everything and um first race at anaheim i crashed in the the first lap of the first heat and broke my shoulder blade um Mm. and so that kind of ruined that you know six or seven weeks of west coast supercross and then i came back and um i did decent uh whatever a couple of supercross i think there was like houston and seattle um and I was riding well, I think in Houston, my bike blew up with two laps ago and I was in fifth or sixth. And, um, you know, I was really poised to, to have some decent results, especially with like the equipment and team we had, um, that year, but it just never, never panned out in supercross. And then outdoors went to the first race at Glen Helen, I think I was running sixth or seventh in the first moto and crashed and broke my wrist. So that kind of screwed the beginning part of outdoors. And then, uh, when I was ready to come back, the team was. of in shambles and um didn't really have bikes for me and blah 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 so um i was actually kind of i was working for my dad driving a dump truck and um yeah thinking about what was what was gonna happen in life next you know
0: yeah so you were thinking that it was over you were quitting
1: yeah i mean i was gonna i was gonna continue to ride and like you know see if something came up and do like local arena crosses and stuff because i still enjoyed riding and whatnot and i was in a better place as far as my fitness and health and stuff was going so um i wasn't really ready to like fully give up but um definitely it was time to get a job you know i didn't really have a ton of money left over after um oh seven um and then the first eight months of six or seven months of oh eight um i was just living on what i had saved from the year before you know so things were running thin and um it was time to get a job
0: yeah that's tough, but I I read an article where you said that you didn't want to drive a dump truck. You had to try uh, something.
1: Yeah. So I mean, the the thing to go to Europe came up. I had when I had broken my shoulder blade in January, um, I was sitting in Mimi's Cafe in Corona, and um, when I walked in, uh, Doc Wobs, you know Doc Wobs. I don't
0: know. I don't guess uh, I don't Rob
1: know. Walters, British guy. He was with two of his buddies, and they were like, "Hey, I was sitting there by myself. It was really close to my apartment." I was living with Michael Willard at the time in, in a apartment in Corona. And, um, I was sitting there by myself and they're like, Hey, you want to come join us? And I, I had known Wobs a bit from when I was a kid, when I rode for Smith, uh, goggles and stuff. And, um, they're like, Hey, you want to come sit with us? I was sure. So I'd go over there and sit down. And, uh, one of the guys, Ash Kane was from, uh, who was from England. He had affiliation with the Dixon team. He was like, Oh, you should come over and ride some GPs. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like whatever, you know, I'll do whatever, you know? And, um, Yes. Five months later or whatever it was, he called me and he was like, Hey, we got two injured riders and I know you're kind of struggling for uh, a ride or whatever at the moment. So you want to come over and uh, give this GP thing a try? And I was like, yeah. So I went there on a, a two race deal. I think it was, I think I had one, like two weeks of training, a British championship and then Lommel GP and then Czech GP. So it was three races. Um, and yeah, I ended up staying there for four and a half years on the same team.
0: So was that at the end of 08 that you went over there? Yeah. I, I did like um the second
1: part of the season, uh the GP season, because at that time they had a little bit of a break in the in the middle of the summer. Um, so I did the second half of the GP season in 08.
0: Cool. How did those races go?
1: Good. I had some decent, uh decent rides. Um I got an eighth at Lommel in the in the second motor. The first motor my bike quit. Um the fr- second motor I got an eighth, which was a huge accomplishment uh at Lommel for my first GP and you know a lot of things stacked against me. Um and then I won a moto um in Ireland that year at a place called fairy House. It was like a man-made track at a race uh a horse race track.
0: Without um, a GP or yeah, yeah. yep nice. so I won
1: won a moto there um and my bike blew up in the second moto so I didn't get on the podium which I was like you know that would have been a huge high point for me. At that time, like the, the Moto win was unthinkable, and um, to get on the podium would have been great. But I didn't didn't make it or ha- wasn't able to make it happen. Um, I had some good rides though. I think I got a couple of pole awards before the end of the season, and um, maybe a couple more um, Moto podium finishes. Um, so it was it was a pretty successful little deal. Considering I went there, you know, on a two race deal, and um, yeah, started making results right off the bat. And and I hadn't had any real, real results since before the Loretta sing in 2005.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, but I feel like, I mean, just listening to you talk and kind of knowing the situation, it was desperation at that point. Like you had to make it happen. Yeah, it was. It was.
1: It wasn't desperation, but it was the last straw, you know, like I knew that there was more to life than racing. But if I wanted to race, this was this was the key. Like this was the only shot I was gonna have to do it. Um, I remember like, you know, my dad was paying me whatever it was, like a normal dump truck driver, 15 bucks an hour or whatever, 10 bucks an hour. And I I had like a thousand bucks when I went to England and I traded it in at the airport exchange and I got like four hundred and thirty-two pounds for what I my thousand bucks that I traded in. And um I was like, you know, this is going to be tough. Like I'm not sure if I can even do this or whatever, but that was, that was the moment for me where the rubber met the road, you know, if you will, um, where it was like, okay, this this is the last shot. This is the last straw.
0: Yeah. So kind of like, like we talked about earlier, like the pressure of, of the Loretta's thing, it broke you down then. And now but the pressure was different that you had to make it happen. Like it yeah. there wasn't an alternative, you had to make it happen if you wanted to race. So, but you wrote that, that brought you up compared to bringing you down before.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, there, a huge piece of it was I, when I, when I got there, the group of guys that I had around me were just like super passionate about racing. Steve was literally whatever it took to go racing at whatever level we needed to go racing at. I told him i needed pink plastic on a friday he was gonna do his dang just to get me pink plastic for saturday you know that that's just how he is um and that that kind of brought the fun back into it for me and it, i experienced racing really racing in general in a way that i had never before you know from a young age i was on this fast track to being this pro at Red Bull ktm right so um it was, it was a new way of looking at racing for me where these guys were having fun, you know, like we were going racing every weekend. We were all staying in the team truck. We were driving to the races together. We were practicing together. Like it was just a different vibe, something that I had never experienced or felt, um, those feelings about racing really, right? Like it was a pressure situation where there was a goal and a result expectation. And, um, if we met that great, if we didn't, then we need to fix it, you know, but these guys were going racing for fun. And that was like a, almost a foreign concept to me, um, of how, how it had ever been to me.
0: Did that's cool. Um, did it, did that kind of, did that affect anything going forward? Like throughout the rest of your career, the way you approached the races compared to like, you'd done it this way, which kind of sounds like it was not fun. And then you went over here and this was fun and you, you had this, um, you said pressure, but it was, you were just, you were having fun. You're racing for fun. Did that affect the way you approach racing like the rest of your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors to that. Right. Um, I moved out when I was 17, like my dad was trying to kind of push me in one way of, of doing racing and I didn't want to do it that way. You know, I was 17 smarter than anyone you've ever met and I was going to fix it my way. And, um, so when I left when I had to come back for the dump truck job, it was like, you know, I really had to bite the bullet in my mind. Like, dang it. You know, like your parents are always going to be there for you, but you don't ever want to admit that failure, you know? And, and when I, when I went to Europe, it was like, okay, this time you can't go back. Like there's no, you. not like they'll be there, but don't just pretend like it's not there, you know? And um, I think that that, that is something that could never have been taught to me. You know, I, you know, I, I grew up in a, an amazing spot with, you know, all the resources that I needed. You know, we, we had everything we could ever want. And um, I just, I never would have learned the lessons that I learned had I not gone the direction that I went, you know, and nobody could have ever told me those things. Like, no no one can teach you what I learned from those moments of trading in that money and um, having to ask my dad for a job. And, like, that that stuff can't be taught, right? Those are experiences you can't um you can't trade in and we were, we were actually talking to my little girl about it the other day um and w- we were using jet as an example because like you know jet and his family they went to europe and they sold everything and risked it all to get what they uh what they've gotten where they've gotten to now but um i was sitting with uh darren and kidding with Jet's mom's name at uh, my friend jack's birthday last year and um, they were telling us like, whenever, whenever we left Europe, we, we vowed that we were, none of us were ever going to eat 10 tuna again. And, and it really struck me like canned tuna, you know, um, it really struck me because they were like, they were struggling that much that they were eating tuna can tuna every day. And for a kid, like a kid of jets talent, you know, and a kid of jets age to have had that experience that he knows he doesn't ever want to see that again is freaking dangerous right like most kids who have jets talent have never experienced that stuff like they've been on a factory ride making money for a long time but they went there with nothing hunter was kind of carrying them through europe from my understanding and um to have that experience as a young kid and to be able to know that you don't ever want to eat 10 tuna again and now you're getting a taste of making you know a couple million bucks a year it's it's a dangerous combination
0: yeah I love that. I got goosebumps just because those those experiences like like you were saying and kind of like I said earlier, like you didn't have a choice. You you had to make it happen. And that's such a difference from, well, I hope I I make. And if I don't, it's okay. You know what I mean? And that's not how you'll talk about it when you're a kid going into a race or whatever. But, you know, you always know it's okay if you don't make it but right but when you get in a situation like that there's there's no other choice you, you just have to so it brings uh brings a lot out of you i think um i think for me it was there was a little bit of a
1: a peace and calming about it right like it was it wasn't what could happen or what might happen or anything it was just like this is where you're at this is your options it's here and now and no other thing you know it's like there was no other way around it there was nothing else happening it was just race and and do it or don't you know it was it was pretty clear cut
0: yeah so it brought your it narrowed your focus it really did
1: it really just kind of brought me to a completely different place where I had never been you know I was thinking about all these things like am I gonna have a ride am I not gonna have a ride am I gonna make it am I not gonna make it like what does this person think what does that person think to like oh here we are like this is the point where it's it's motocross for a while or not you know
0: yeah that's awesome um all right so <clears throat> um i read some articles and stuff um i read that, that you you told whoever was interviewing you said that you never felt homesick that you kind of embraced the life there where you think i mean a lot of americans have gone over there and not not made it and and the lifestyle was kind of a big uh factor in that but just tell me what that meant for you so
1: I think definitely, like we were talking about earlier, my time there as a as a younger guy kind of helped me with that transition and knowing what I was getting into. Whereas, you know, if you come from California, you've never been to Europe. It's, it's a big change, right? You, you get thrust into Germany and it's cold and dark and nobody speaks English. It's not a fun trip, you know, but um, I was extremely blessed and fortunate to land on the team that I did in England and um, land with uh, with the Pocock family who took me in like a son you know and and still treat me like a son today um and that that was also another piece of it where i just i was having fun again like i, I wasn't having fun again i was having fun racing for the first really the first time in my life you know like i said a minute ago it, it was such a high pressure situation in my mind um from the time i was 11 or 12 years old you know um it had been a long time since i was going racing for fun or or maybe the first time ever like i said it's it was just a real blessing to be around those people and still today like you know we went back to england this summer for um the vets uh mxdn race and it's such a like it feels like home you know it doesn't even feel weird for me to go there anymore like i can leave the airport after being gone for since uh, i think the last one was there was 2017 and uh I leave the airport and drive to the house, you know, it's, it's like, I don't need the Tom Tom or the GPS or whatever. I, I can just go straight there. And um, that's something that not a lot of people will ever get to experience, you know, it's like having two places in the world where you feel comfortable, like it's just, okay, you know, everything's okay.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so you, you said you were kind of having fun for the first time. It sounds like you were maybe for the first time riding for yourself rather than riding for somebody else
1: yeah I think that's a fair uh fair saying um I wouldn't say I was doing it for someone else but I I never really knew why I was doing it you know what I mean I, I knew that I was paid to do a job and I was supposed to be doing it and that was that you know it was never like really I guess like I didn't really have any I was kind of indifferent about it you know but at that time when I went there and I met the boys and you know we were going racing on the weekends and riding go-karts on Friday nights and you know having the occasional beer or whatnot, like that was like that was out of my realm of thinking, you know. Like I I it was uh it was a crazy experience for me.
0: Yeah, it sounds sounds awesome. So uh the what about the racing over there? I mean, the tracks to me, I mean I've never done one obviously, but I watch them all on TV the tracks look quite a bit different. I mean, it's still motocross, but they prep them different. They're, they're set up different. Like in, in the GPs, you can't say whoops, it's the waves, you know, and all this stuff. But what did you think about the racing over there? I enjoyed the racing. You know, I,
1: I kind of compare it to um, a little bit to woods racing here. You know, the, the professional motocross paddock is so corporate and strict and like black and white and, the the gncc paddock is like the opposite like right and somewhere in between is mxgp where there's a corporate piece but you know during the week we would all ride ride at the same places and camp at the same places um there we drove a lot so we would just drive from race to race and we would all end up in the same you know the nicest nearest town with a beach or you know uh, a decent swimming pool or whatever so um there's just a lot more camaraderie and that was something that I was kind of experiencing for the first time too, where it wasn't just so cutthroat, like you could kind of talk to people and and not feel like, Oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. You know? Um, so the, the racing I would say is more just like pure racing than, than here where it's a lot about the show and, um, about corporate this and, you know, all those things, which I, I, I'm, well aware that of business and how numbers work and all that stuff so I, I get that piece too but um it was just a, a big transition for me in my mind to like be able to go and just enjoy myself at, at a racetrack or in a setting like that
0: yeah I know exactly what you're saying with the gnCC when I moved over to that it was like wait this is cool like if all the pro routers are buddies and we yeah. ride together and if if that guy needs a tire he can have my tire you know what i mean or whatever where in supercross like you would never go when i was riding for yamaha i would never go to kawasaki and ask for something or (laughs) or or, you know what i'm saying but like in gncc it's like everybody's it's just it's racing like i I like what you said it's more the racing is more pure yeah um, with that and that's so much more fun um to deal with um and it's yeah it's just cool when you got um, it's not the people; it's just the kind of the culture, culture and camaraderie say.
1: amongst the people. You know, I yeah. think that those things, the the factors, make people different, right? They change the people, or and and that's one thing that's that's tough for me is like when you see people's opinions. Like we're in a world where everybody has an opinion, and it, it's viewable at this point, whether you like it or not, right? But those things always are gonna change somebody. But I felt like there, when I, it was just like it was what it was you you're getting who you're getting because there wasn't so much cutthroat and there wasn't so much uh, you know tension amongst the paddock it was just a more laid back way of going racing
0: yeah way more fun that way um so you did awesome over there you got on the podium a bunch of times uh you got one overall win um which is cool i mean some americans have gone and done well but not not a ton of them um you came back for some west coast supercross in 2012 i was see i got i was on the west coast in 12 but i got hurt i think i was i broke my hand and my uh collarbone or something but i was going to the races and you're out there and i'm like this dude is on it like he's a totally different dude compared to when you left or the last time we saw you and say 07. um yeah you had some some speed what was your, um, finishes in, on the West coast supercrosses? How many did you do? Uh, I did four races. I think I
1: got ninth at Anaheim one, um, six at Phoenix and then two thirds at, uh, LA and Oakland.
0: That's awesome. How was it coming back for just supercross? Like what, what was your feeling on it? I had a blast, you know, we were racing out of the back of my
1: van. Um, we had two bikes. One of them didn't show up in time for a one. So I rode my practice bike um and we were just we were having a good time like me my mechanic ben uh my buddy mel and my cousin cody we were literally just driving around southern california riding tracks eating pizza like we we had a, a hell of a time that the those uh six weeks or whatever we were out there it was it was great um and i think it you know it kind of showed in the results and um i actually had a deal with um dave gallon and bobby hewitt to ride for rockstar Suzuki in 2012 at the end of 2011 and Steve talked me into staying with his team, but I was like, okay, but the stipulation is you have to take me to do some West Coast Supercross with, with our bike, because I knew our bike, we were working with Cosworth directly uh, in the UK and the bike was unbelievable, like really, really good. And uh, I was like, you know, you just, you have to take me there because I was aging out of MX2 and I didn't, I wasn't sure that I wanted to race MX1 that at that point, period of my career. And, um, I was getting married at the end of 2012. So it was, you know, for me, it was kind of time to make a move back to the States. And, um, that was my stipulation for staying like, you know, we'll keep the same deal, but you have to take me racing in, in California, uh, or in, in supercross. And, um, yeah, he, he held up to his end of
0: the deal. That's cool. So you said you were, you were having fun and it showed in the results is, did you, feel any pressure to like perform because you were trying to secure a ride or was it just i mean i i
1: didn't i didn't go there with the expectation i knew from riding in the offseason and riding with people and stuff that i was good good did enough to do good right but like i'm on a privateer bike not i'm on my bike from europe i wouldn't really say it was a privateer bike because it was incredibly sick but um it, it didn't really seem like thinkable to like get on the podium or something like that right and then we got to california and we started riding and i was like really good and it just kept getting better and better and like as i got a couple of races under my belt i really had a good chance to get on the podium in phoenix and just kind of like wasn't really there right like i was like well, in my mind i wasn't ready for a podium but um in la i just got off to a really good start and um yeah managed to get on the podium and it was it was unbelievable like we couldn't believe it and um, there had been some a couple of issues like with um, my bike like they were always trying to like say we had stuff and whatnot but um so it was just really cool for us to pull it off and get on the podium and um make it all happen
0: yeah <clears throat> that's cool kind of like a like a David and Goliath kind of thing you're like this little guy like i'm I'm coming you know yeah yeah
1: I mean now it's especially unheard of but even then it was not exactly common that somebody on a factory team was not on a factory team was getting in on the podium, you
0: know? Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you signed with Geico Honda for 13 and 14. Um, I was kind of on my way out by then, by the end of 13, but I remember you being fast, but not necessarily getting maybe the best results you didn't win.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, in hindsight, I had a couple of different offers. I had an offer from Rockstar Suzuki again, um, which was probably my best financial offer. Um, I had an offer from uh, TLD Honda with TK, who's now one of my best friends. And that that whole, I went and did a test on the bike and um, that kind of thrust us into a, a cool little relationship. But um, looking back, I probably should have taken his deal or, or the Suzuki deal, but geico was like the the barbie model right like that was like the team like that was the one to be on and um the money was good and everything was right and i was like okay you know i'm, I'm gonna take the geico deal but it thrust me right back into what i had left which was like very corporate very square very results based thing and i was coming off this team where i felt just ultra comfortable like they were there for me and i was there for them and we were getting results and having fun to like okay this is what you have to do and this is how we're going to do it and there's not going to be much outside of this little box and it, it was a big struggle for me like i i kind of had lost hope at the end of the first year like you know this is just what racing looks like here like you know it's it's not i'm never going to have that situation what i had in europe um here and um 13 was pretty successful like i got on the podium once or twice in supercross and then i maybe 3 or 4 times in outdoors had some really good motos and um was kind of in the hunt you know like felt felt pretty good about it um in 14 i got hurt twice and was just not, you know pretty underwhelming um as far as results and stuff go and um the team was kind of split in two pieces with two different guys that you kind of had to choose from and um it just never felt like there was that synergy that you need where everybody's pulling in their same direction and um, things are progressing, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, I rode for them in 07, but I got hurt. I was hurt all year, so I didn't really get to experience that much besides that one win in Vancouver. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, quick side note, you did some GNCCs in 13, I believe, and then you did ISDE in 13 on the trophy team. That was also for a moto guy. So in 12,
1: I had ridden um, after the supercross thing, I was like, uh, I was kind of just looking for something different. Right. And Mel was here and we were racing hair scrambles and we were just kind of getting ready for the season because we still had like two months before we had to be back in Europe and we were just riding and racing everywhere and just doing whatever, you know? And, um, I went to Stu's house, Sue Baylor's house for a couple of days and, um, rode some woods and we had a really good time. And, um, in 13 um i asked the team like hey would you guys be okay if i did some gncc's while i'm back east during this eight-week break or whatever it is from supercross to be able to you know just get in better shape so um i did the first two which was florida and georgia and i got on the podium at both of those in the xc2 class um and then later in the year i did unadilla and i had been asked to do six days um on the trophy team so I accepted that and um yeah we had a blast uh in sardinia i got on on the podium as a team which was the first time in i don't remember how long it was like 20 years or something like that so um yeah it was they supported me uh heavily honestly like um the team they were all about it and uh they really did a good job of of making it happen for me
0: yeah six days is the best man i love it it's such a fun it, race except the rental car antics <laughs> Yeah, uh, we won't go down that road. But uh, I remember the thing I remember from that year because I was on—I went on a club team, so we—I walked the test with you guys, but I didn't like—I never saw you guys racing because we were, you know, two hours uh, yeah. later. Um, but at uh, on the la- on day six, which is the motocross, we all ride from the pat or park for me to the track and then impound your bike. So we're watching all of your guys' motos. And we're watching the the E1 moto, which is your class, and you're smoking them. It's a motocross. And it was an actual motocross track. Not the best one, but it was actual motocross. And that you're, was decent. Yeah, you're, like, so far out in front because you're a motocross guy. But then the last lap, you're, like, you know, cheering and fist. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's still on yeah, the clock. Like <laughs> I know.
1: Auntie, auntie was actually super pissed because, I, if I remember correctly, Salvini beat me by, like, a couple of tenths to when, you know, that was – technically a test overall right like and he was like dude you could have beat him and i'm like yeah but like we got on the podium and it's my first six days and i just finished it like i, I can't believe it so uh yeah i did take some flack for that one
0: <laughs> yeah that was funny but uh, we all make mistakes at our first six days um so <clears throat> all righty uh we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back today's pod is brought to you by steve hatch racing premier dirt bike coaching training and mentoring. To be the best, you got to train with the best. Steve Hatch works with all levels from beginner to pros in all facets of the sport, riding, nutrition, training, preparation, and more. I've worked with Steve over 14 years now, and uh, Steve's helped me a ton, Uh, especially, you know, I started with him when I was racing Supercross. And the first time I ever worked with him, I went to the desert to practice for Supercross. didn't make any sense, but I went home that weekend. Uh, and I got on the podium and I was like, wait, there's something to this, just the little drills and skills and, and the things that Steve had me doing, got me razor sharp, even on a super cross track. Then I go, you know, switch over to GNCC started out really bad. And Steve got me to the top. I won. Um, I switched over to all the things I do now, flat track, hard enduro, but all those little skills and drills that Steve taught me still come into play and I still do them all. So, uh, Shout out to Steve Hatch. If you want to improve, go to stevehatchracing.com. Champions are made here. Today's episode is brought to you by Mind.coach, created by Steve and Denise Hatch to develop mindsets of greatness. Listen, the mental side of our sport is the most important. You can be the fastest, fittest guy out there, and if you're a mess in your head on race day, you're not going to perform to your best ability. And same goes in, in life, in business, everything you do, the mental side is the most important. I've worked with Stephen and Nice for a long time, and they've helped me a lot on my mindset, my mental strength, and being able to overcome the things that pop up in your way. So if you want to get better at that, go to powerthemind.coach, cutting edge mindset training for winning results in racing, business, and life. So you moved over to rockstar Husky after that, which is same Bobby Hewitt, Dave Gallen. Um, Can you tell me kind of the difference in the teams between Geico and, I mean, you don't have to go into crazy detail, but just kind of the difference in in the teams.
1: Yeah. So I, I took the the Husky thing at the end of 2014, I had another year offer with Geico um, to continue. um, But, I was sort of thinking like at that point in my life, like I'm not sure how successful I'm gonna be at this motocross thing. Like a 450 ride in a a factory team was a pipe dream for me at that time, you know? So at the at the end of 14, I took the husky ride in for 15 and 16 because I was really like genuinely thinking, 17, I'll just kind of transition into off-road. They have a really good off-road program. It's like kind of the perfect feeder system for me to just go down the off-road path, right? So um Yeah, I took the deal. And the main, the biggest thing for me when I got to Rockstar Husky was it was like a good middle ground between my team in Europe and my, and my Geico Honda days, because there was a much more family feel and like, um, not nearly as rigid, just a little bit more loose and, and open. And we had a lot of control with the bike. And um I was really able to just get myself back into a place where I was enjoying racing again. and. Um, not like I said, not it wasn't so
0: rigid. Yeah. But you you took this thing already planning on going off-road.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife and I kind of decided like that was our best path uh of where we could go, you know. The Geico thing, it just felt hard all the time, you know. It felt like we were pulling pulling crap uphill. Um, so yeah, that was that was the plan. Like uh after 15 and 16, if nothing really pops off, then we'll just take the, take the off-road route.
0: But it did, (laughs) you had a a good year in 16, you got your first pro professional motocross or supercross win at Bud's Creek, where your meltdown happened all those years, 10 years before that, um, which is insane, kind of like destiny, but that had to be a big monkey off your back. How was, tell me about that. It was, um, 2016 was a, a tough
1: year for me, um, mentally because I was in such a good space physically 15. I had some good rides and I think I won a moto at high point in 15. Um, but 16, I was the best I had ever been physically by far, uh, best bike I had ever ridden, um, to- whole package wise, um, just super comfortable in the off season, Never put a foot wrong, never had a crash, nothing. And came in like, you know, in 16, really, it was winter, winter go home for me. Like basically it was winter go off-road, basically. Um, <laughs> but I was so close a couple of times. Um, I got on the podium a bunch right off the bat in Supercross. And then um San Diego won, I think, which was around four or something. I led the main event for like nine or ten laps, coop passed me and I was right on him with three laps to go in a position that I felt like I could win from. And I um pushed the front coming out of the corner and threw away you know a possible win, a podium and it got like seventh, right? And I I remember going back to the truck and I sat behind the semi for like an hour, like I will never I'm never gonna win. Like it's it's never gonna happen. Like it, it's just not meant to be you know and my wife is like no it just you gotta keep showing up keep showing up keep showing up so um a couple weeks later uh santa Clara same thing i led for a while uh he passed me with like three laps to go and one and i was like you know podiums at one point in my life podiums were really like holy crap this is amazing right like in 2012 podiums were uh, we were on top of the world right and at this point podiums were just like dang it like what the hell you know and um that was the i remember like the podium picture from santa clara my wife has the bit my, uh, my daughter uh who was two at the time in in the carrier and we're like taking a picture and i'm smiling but like i remember inside feeling like just like what like no this this sucks like this is not what i want it to be you know and um that was just a a switch for me where it was like, you have to get this done. And then, uh, going into outdoors again, I was in really good shape, had some really good results to start the season. And then we had this run of like six races where I had like eight, six or eight DNS and the motos. Um, and it was bad. Like we all looked bad. Like the bike was messing up and then they were like, that you're turning the bike off. And I'm like, I'm not turning the bike off. Like I'm riding around in third place. I'm not turning the bike off, you know? And, um, finally, uh, at Bud's Creek, I won, like we, we built a complete new bike with all new stuff and it was great, you know? And, um, I won a race and it was, it was like that moment. It was strange because it was like, it had to happen there. Right. Like, (laughs) for me to make that switch. Like I had to get redemption there before I could move on in my career. And um, I was training with one of my, one of my best friends, uh, Ryan Raul at the time in 16. And I got the opportunity to go to Alden's and um, we knew that we knew already by Bud's Creek that I was gonna go to Florida and um, make that change. And it was, it was tough on all of us because like we, we had finally like just hit our stride and we're in a really good spot going into the next season and i was gonna make this big change because when you get that call you go right like you don't you don't miss that opportunity so um it was tough but like to be able to celebrate that with him and with Brittany and um get a win 10 years after everything that happened there um was like one of the one of the coolest moments ever
0: that's awesome uh yeah I think i remember that was like uh wire harnesses that year that yeah, was going out or something we
1: came to the conclusion that the frame that i was that we were struggling with which we we did everything and it, it just wasn't making sense but um that it got struck by lightning in the truck or something because it was like grounding out and we didn't know why like it, hmm. it just ne- no one ever figured it out they like put it under x-ray the frame because everyone was intrigued right like we had this one frame like that we kept messing with that wouldn't run and they put it under x-ray to like see if something was cracked somewhere like the ground was cracked and it wasn't grounding properly like they did a lot of work on that thing and never figured it out but it's just one of those things right
0: the cursed bike yeah it was um cool that's a that's a hallmark moment to to win back at that track after all that you'd been through. Um, but then you carried, uh, Bud's was pretty late in the season, uh, that year and you carried a lot of momentum into 17. You won, uh, the title on the East coast. How, yeah. Tell me about that year a little bit.
1: Yeah. So going into 17, um, I went to that SMX race, um, in Germany, uh, for the manufacturer's cup or whatever they were calling it, uh, from MXGP. And I broke my, my scaphoid, um, in I want to say it was like the middle of October. So it was like, now I've made this huge investment to, to come to Florida to work with Alden and now I have a broken wrist, the worst, you know, the worst injury you can have to your hand. Um, as far as a broken bone goes, because it can be a really, a pain to heal. I got surgery, um, a couple of days later and I started riding, I think in the middle of December and, um, I was just in a really good headspace. Um, we were here in Florida, we were comfortable in our surroundings. Um, I was in good shape already, you know, I I can't say that had I not come here to to Aldens or in 2017 that I wouldn't have been as, as successful because I was already in like, you know, this trend was, was headed in the right direction again. And, um, so I can't really say that I wouldn't have been as successful. Like we were finally in the right spot, but it just kind of poured gas on the fire to be here and to ride with ride with the guys that I was riding with, and just have such a solid little program carved out. Um, and to get that opportunity, like everybody wants that opportunity to go there and work, right? So um, it just all came together in the right spot and. Um, the 2017 championship, I got my first win in Atlanta, uh, which was the second round of East coast. And again, the next weekend in Toronto, and it just like kind of started a snowball. Um, and then in Detroit, I think I had like a, I want to say like a 15 point lead or maybe, maybe not that much. Um, but my front wheel got all my spokes got cleaned out in the first corner and I got 19th that night. And that set me kind of 17 points back or whatever it was. And then, um, Yeah. I mean, everybody knows the story at the end, right. Um, the the last lap pass, but, um, that, that race is just something, something I'll never, I'll probably never achieve again in my life. Um, in, in terms of, of the headspace, um, I, I really don't remember that much from the race because I was so zoned out that I, I just was like on autopilot, you know, that's, that's the, the moment, the, the here and now that the thing that everyone talks about and I don't think that, I mean, I know that I've never really experienced it other than that Um, a couple of times for some moments. Yeah. Sure. But um, for a 15 minute main event, like it was like when I crossed the finish line, it was like, I woke up, honestly, like it was, it was insane.
0: That's that's pretty cool. I, I had a question written down for later about the zone, but you, that was it. I mean, you, when you're in the zone, you, you don't even remember like the mistake you made uh, yeah. over in this corner or whatever.
1: Well, I, I actually do remember two things from that race, um, and that was I almost ended up going out of the stadium with like six laps to go. I like nose bonk. There was like a, a three footer, three footer to a ski backwards or a forward ski, and um, I nose bonked, it and yeah, literally almost killed myself. And then um when Harrison passed me back and I had to roll that double into the whoops, it, it kind of like broke my focus and I was like, oh that that that's it. Like I was gonna get him, but now I'm not. And um yeah, it just it just kept going my my direction, you know, like even still today watching the race, it still doesn't seem like I'm gonna get there. It it seems like it's just too far out of reach, right? <laughs> like it just doesn't seem real.
0: Yeah, that was watching it was like there's no way. No, there's no way. And even like with two laps to go, it's like there's no way. It's like, so far. holy, but holy smokes! Like he's catching him. Like and yeah. yeah, I mean that was what it was. It with two corners to go. You well, got him? it. Was
1: like in the left and then right ninety to the finish. So yeah,
0: <laughs> that was wild. That's some. That's some heart. But that's the definition of the zone. Is like you. You don't even remember it. Like it's just autopilot. Yeah, that's it, it's a, a
1: pretty crazy place. You know, I I had some struggles with anxiety, um, through my through a couple of years there, like 2013, 14, 15, um, just went through some things personally with um, some business stuff that I had going on. And it just kind of changed the way I saw things. And, you know, for me, those, I had kind of started to overcome it by 2017, but those moments and still today, like there's no, there's no, there's no place on earth where you're more peaceful or, Um, for me, closer to God, or like, there's just nothing happening in your mind, other than just what you're doing. And you're not even really, per se, thinking about it. Um, But it's just, it's just coming out of you, right? Like that, that, if you could find that every time you ride, you would win a whole lot more, and you would have a totally different story. But it's so, such a fine line and such a fine place to to get to in your life and in your racing where you have that ability and you're, it's almost like a trusting from your, your brain and body where you, you know, you're fit enough. It, it just has to, you, you have to move your conscious mind out of the way and allow your, your gifts and talents to fully come out of you, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that. You got to get out of the way and like, just let it happen. Yeah. Uh, because your me, subconscious is so much quicker and like smarter than your conscious is. It's you got to get out of your conscious and get into the subconscious.
1: Yeah. And, and like I said, for me, like those moments, there's, there's a couple of them in my career. Um, uh, Vegas definitely was like the, the all time um, high or whatever you want to say in terms of, of, you know, riding completely un- uninhibited unhinged, like the best I can be. Um, I I'm, I'm not a good hard pack rider, like that's no secret. And it was super hard that night and I was fast, you know, I, the, the most impressive thing from that whole race for me is that I started last and I still had the fastest average lap coming through the pack. Like that's, that's wow. hard to do, you know, and, um, that, yeah, that was just me kind of, I guess you would say, like I said, unhinged or, um, p- purely me. Um, I, I also had that a couple of times in 2020. Um, I had a big crash, uh, before, uh, before Atlanta and, um, broke my back, uh, five places, five different vertebrae and messed up my insides and, um, big, big concussion, big hit, like just a massive hit to my body. And I, I, um I considered retirement at that point and um, I went and saw uh, a guy who does NET neuro technique therapy to like um, basically walk yourself through your your fears or whatever you have going on. And um, after that, uh, during 2020 outdoor season, I had a ton of, and supercross um, at uh, Salt Lake those seven rounds, I had a bunch of times where, my mind was clear, my headspace was clear, and I just felt, you know, at peace with what I was doing, and I was able to really just feel all of the sensation of what riding can feel like, and how, how amazing it really is.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that's cool to hear about. I, uh, I've experienced, we all have experienced, like, the zone, and, but it's, like, the, like you said, if you could just flip a switch and turn it on but then it yeah. would be it wouldn't be so elusive then but um I guess I don't know I've, I've, I was trying to think of an example but um like Hawaii supercross in yeah. uh 19 whenever it was which I know that's not a super important race but like there were some heavy hitters there and I pulled the whole shot and the first one and Jimmy Dakota's passes me in the like the second turn and I just sit there and follow him the whole time like couldn't get around couldn't get around and it was like with two laps to go, it was like a like a somebody just knocked on my head and was like, "What are you doing behind this guy? Let like, go!" So I passed him in the last corner, and then the rest of it was just a blur. Like I just yeah. I did between the races, I didn't think about it. I go out there and I would start wherever I go and pass everybody and went. and it was just like easy. Yeah. It wasn't like I tried harder that weekend. It it was like I tried less in a yeah. way, you know. So yeah. yeah, you are trying less because you're not actually
1: doing it it's just happening right like it's it's a it's such a strange thing to say and i mean people probably think i'm crazy for it but like it it's not something that you're physically doing it's like walking like when you get up to walk you're not like right foot left foot right foot left foot right foot left foot you know you just walk and that's that's your that's truly uninhibited things happening to you you know
0: do you do anything to like try to get back there
1: yeah so um i've i've been down a lot of roads right in my career with meditation and yoga and about anything you can think of except for um drugs like uh <laughs> like I've, I've tried it but um i i really got into um wim hof breathing um in 2017 and i made it part of like my everyday routine um and i i really like that a lot i i think that i'm not really the meditation type but wim hof you can be in a clear headspace in a matter of three minutes you know and i think that that really helped me a lot um and to me you know at, at our at this at the highest level of of this sport or sport in general the, the more uh variables and factors that you can eliminate the better off you're going to be like you know if you wake up and you're late and you're forgetful and something happens like just starts things in the wrong way so to me like every day that I could be as regimented as possible and do the same exact thing and eat the same exact thing and, like you know just eliminate any variables the the closer to those things I could become right so like it wasn't like I was having biggest moments every day but the the feeling of just clicking days off and and no variables and no crashes and you know just really eliminating any potential downfalls or or mistakes um the better off i was and um really it may be something that kind of burnt me out in the end but from the beginning of 2016 till the end of 2020 i really was like on that pointy edge every single day, except for maybe two months a year where I was, you know, vacationing or hurt or whatever. Um, but even when I was hurt, I was still working and trying to, to be there, you know? Um, but to me, those things, it just, the more variables and factors that you can eliminate to from happening or potential anything, you know, like when you're winning a championship, you don't want to get a speeding ticket because it's like oh, that's that's wrong momentum. That's not what I want. You, know? <laughs> you literally like I, I I'm I became crazy about it. You know, I became just so set in my ways. And but it was it was working right. So like you go home and you brush your teeth and you do the same things and you do that. You know, it was all just it, it makes it so simple and so easy. And um, that was a huge part of finding success and and headspace and just really being able to kind of become my best self was just eliminating factors to the point where I knew that when I woke up, it was, it was literally automatic. You know, it was, it was almost like a flow state for me doing those, doing the work and doing the motos. And I love to ride. Like I still love to ride. I, I, I since I left, since I went to Europe, I have found joy in riding most days, right? Like, and people are like, Oh man, you must hate going out there and doing, two 30 minute motos on a Tuesday. Well, no, because for me, that was the ultimate piece, right? Like I'm out there, I'm suffering. My heart rate's 185 for 30 minutes and there's nothing in my mind. It's just happening, right? Like riding as a flow state is happening. And not every day, like I said, not every day was it like Vegas or not every day will I I, I most likely will never feel those feelings again uh like I did in Vegas. But to me, eliminating the factors and just being as present as you can, um, has been a huge, huge thing for me to, to finding mastery, if you will, or finding, um, a place where I can just do my job the best I can.
0: I love it. I've, uh, you're the, I think fifth or sixth, uh, guest we've had that I've had on, but everybody has said, they said, it didn't say it the same as you, you definitely went into a lot more detail, which I appreciate. And it's awesome. And I'm learning stuff over here, but um, everybody has said being prepared, being the most prepared was a thing that like helped them get to that state. Like, yeah. Like Steve had said, he's like, I would have my gear packed on Tuesday yeah, before a race on Sunday. He's like, and I was just so prepared. And th- then there's like, you just said, eliminate the variables. There's never like a, Oh, I forgot my goggles or, you know, just a simple thing like that can throw you off but uh, um, man i love that oh um, yeah you you
1: know like the more like for me so after 2017 i got a motor home and then i had a driver which was my mother so then then my food's the same on the weekends, and my gear's already there and i don't have you know so the more variables that i could not only eliminate but also delegate the better off my my headspace was right like so the more that i didn't have to do the more that i could do towards my program and um the What one thing um that people kind of get wrong, I think, is like you get to a point where things plateau off and it's just like maintenance mode or um you know it it becomes simple or something, but like you're always trying to level up, you're trying to get better, you're trying to there's more pressure, there's more money, so you can you can make those adjustments, but it's there's never a finish line. It's always you're trying to progress and you're trying to be better. And and I mean, you know. I've had people come to me before and be like, I can make you 10% better. No, no, you can't. Like, you're not going to make me 10% better because then I'm, you know, 9% better than the best guys in the world. And that's not, not possible. You know, it's never chasing at, at the highest level. I mean, even like main event makers aren't really chasing 10%, you know what I mean? And, and at the highest level, at the winning level, at the top five level in the 450 class, you're definitely not chasing 10%. You're chasing like, a tenth of a percent or like mm-hmm. you know one percent would be massive you know so um yeah it, there's just so many facets and factors that go into winning a race and and things that have to fall in place and and go right the more of those things that you can eliminate the better off you're going to be
0: well said oh real quick what how do you spell that wim Huff just for the listeners and for me i want to check it out uh it's
1: w-i-m and then space h-o-f uh he's like a a uh, dutch um yeah. breathing guru basically with uh some cold cold adaptation and thermogenesis stuff um he's been around for quite a while now and um for me like i said for me it was it was a game changer just to be able to like snap my fingers you know i don't want to go sit in my backyard on a mat and like look at the sun and try to breathe and get into a headspace right like with Wim Hof, that's not what you have to do you just have to sit breathe deep hold your breath Um, and then for me, it was just a huge way to clear myself up. And, um, I started to use it on the starting line, not, not as deep, you know, I've done breath holds that are like just under three minutes quite often. Um, but for me, like if I could just do 30 big breaths and then like a one minute hold on the starting line, it just really could like kind of mitigate some of that stress right before the race. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, yeah, I've done a lot of breath work and like breathing exercises with Steve Hatch and Stephen Denise, but uh, never heard of that one. So I'm gonna check it out. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's roll through. I know I've had you on here for a while. Um, so you win the Supercross title in 17. You go into outdoors, win the title there. Um, that was awesome. Go into 18, win another Supercross title. Like, you were just on a roll. You were killing everybody, but that summer, you got hurt. You went down at uh, Colorado, right? Yeah, Colorado,
1: I got in a first-turn pileup, and um, I got hit, like, kind of underneath my arm, and it popped my shoulder off the top, um, and I put it back in, scored a point, but that was the end of the season. Like, it just wasn't worth um, – I was already signed to go in the 450 class, and it wasn't worth, um, you know, risking that season – to try to finish the, the 250 season, I was really supposed to go to the 450 class that summer, um, but they were really were keen for me to run the number one plate and all that stuff. So I stayed down, um, and I mean, it is what it is. I, I I'm glad I gave it an effort. There hasn't been many four-time 250 champions, so um, I, I was I really wanted that that accomplishment, and um, it was something that uh, would have been really cool. But it is what it is.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> um so you like you said you moved up to 450 and 19. Um how how big of a challenge was that? Like 450s and supercross are a handful. Yeah. I I don't enjoy riding a 450 and supercross. How did you how it, it became a huge challenge because I um
1: the best I, I can 100 percent without question say that the best I ever rode in my entire life was the 19 off season, uh, the off season going into 19, my first year in the 450 on supercross just had like, I was in really good shape, got hurt, had, you know, two or three months to, to take off and kind of regroup my brain and, um, get things right. And I was in the best shape of my life. I was in a good headspace, had a great bike, like everything was clicking. And, um, I, uh, went to do, there was like a little, a bowl corner with a little wheel tap out of it onto a, onto a little plateau, not like a full on tabletop, but just like a little plateau. And then you would jump down a uh, dragon back backwards and I wheel tapped and I came out of the corner in first and tried to get second and got neutral wheel tapped in neutral. And it just smashed me into the face of the dragon and, um, wrecked my collarbone and, um just set things in the wrong direction you know I was it was a massive hit um to my body and I just was really bummed like I was gonna do really well in 19 like I, I was in a good spot to be able to like race at the front like you know contend for a championship in my opinion um but then that set me back like six races so then you're starting racing at the middle of the season which is nearly impossible honestly to to find form and fitness and all those things while those guys have been racing for six you know six weeks it doesn't seem like much but the the progression that you make with your bike and your body and all the things in those six weeks is is huge so um kind of struggled in the middle of the season to find my feet and um finally at uh nashville i think i got a fifth and that was kind of like the turning point where things started to, to come back in my direction. And um almost won a race in New York, really kind of threw it away, got got a little bit ahead of myself thinking about winning a race in the four fifty class and pushed the front, ended up second. Um, got fifth at Vegas. And then the outdoor season was actually really, really good. Uh, in my personal opinion. I got I got in the top five I did twenty-two motos. I missed Red Bud because I um fell fell over basically out of a corner in uh in practice and fell on the same collarbone that i had hurt during the supercross uh during the preseason for supercross and dislocated my uh, sc joint which is where your collarbone and your uh chest attach, your sternum attach basically and so i missed red bud and then um i did 22 motos and the 21 of the motos i was in the top five which was like you know in my mind was one of my most impressive stats of my career like that's that's pretty good for a 450 rookie um got on the podium a bunch won a bunch of uh one one moto um and like i said was in the top five everyone but i fell at, at i and you got an eighth i think it was so um a really successful rookie 450 outdoor season um but what could have been in the supercross season still like that's one spot where i look back in my career and wonder like man, I really wish, like, I could have made it to the season with that form and and ridden, you know, kind of through the year with it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> um, so a couple things. Um, talk about, you said, like, you know, getting hurt and coming back halfway through the season is tough. Uh, I think, like, tell me, I guess, in your mind, the confidence, because it sounds like going into, like, you said leading into your off season was the best you've ever had, the best you've ever ridden. So you knew you knew you could win. When you come back after the collarbone, did you you probably thought you could win, but you didn't know it anymore. Like talk about the difference in that confidence.
1: Yeah, there's like want to win, there's like need to win, there's like I can win. There's a lot of those, a lot of win scenarios, right? But um in the off season, I felt I felt in my heart that I had a really good shot at winning some races, right? Like, um, and once we, once they went racing, like coop was winning and that's who I was riding with all season. And like the data backed up that I could have won some races. So it, it was tough, but back to your question, I guess I, I thought that I could win, but my fitness wasn't quite as good, you know? when, when you're riding four days a week on a supergrass track during the off season and you don't have any crashes and you don't have any, any hiccups and things are clicking and you're really truly doing the job that the feeling is easy. Like it's supreme, right? Like you get on the bike and you just kind of guide it around. Like it's not, it's not, does it take, you're not like muscling the bike. You're not, it's not hard. It's, it's just boom, 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 clicking off, clicking off those laps. And, um, you know in the off season you go we would do monday tuesday thursday friday and when you come back on monday two days feels like a lot a long time off you know you're like man i'm not quite as sharp as i was when i left on friday and you've only trained all weekend and you know you missed two days of riding which you have to have some reprieve but um then to miss six weeks that supreme feeling and confidence goes away quick you know so um just coming back and like fighting through an injury and like you're still kind of like hurt but not hurt and it's not you don't want to fall so there's just it just adds a lot of factors and facets to what what you're doing and uh all things that you don't need
0: yeah i like to think of it and it's not like you could have changed something where you didn't hit neutral i mean you could have but it's just a thing that happened well, and when, and, you know, looking
1: back, it, it, looking back, it was maybe a little bit of ego. Like we were, we were just starting a moto and I was getting a little gap, you know, I was kind of opening that up and I knew I messed up, you know, I, I knew I was in first gear when I hit the throttle and instead of rolling, I went to get it, you know, get some and I got some, I got all kinds of it, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it bit funny. me big. So, um, th- those, those things, I don't really have many of those points in my career where I really could have done something different, you know, it just things happen, right? Like it's a, it's a pointy sword and you're at the top of it, you know? So, um, that's one time where I maybe could have just rolled or whatever, you know, but it is what it is. Hindsight's always twenty twenty.
0: Yeah. Well that you said something earlier that, uh, I think is similar. You said your ego kind of got the best of you there or got in the way, you said you should have won a race in New York, but you got ahead of yourself, started yeah. thinking about the win, And that's just, you took, even if it was 5% away from your focus. Yeah. And it caused that, you know, or, or whatever, maybe the, maybe there was a rock there. or whatever. No, I
1: mean, it doesn't matter if you're not, if you're not just, just there it's, it's, it makes a lot of, opens a lot of doors for a lot of issues, you know?
0: Yeah. So um, the, the, I like to think of it like, and like I said, it's, things happen and you're going to you, sometimes you're going to have like ups and downs. But it's like uh, building a castle is like this day was good. This day was good. This day. You know what I mean? And you just start building, and building, building. And then when you when you crash or you get hurt, it's like you you cut off half your castle. Half of it fell off. So you just have to build it back up. But, but if you go out there and try to perform like you were here with only half a castle then you're like you're getting out of your range and I've right. done it a ton of times where it's like I come back from injury and it's like I'm I'm only just gonna do it I'm gonna go fast and you're not ready to you gotta yeah. build your castle back
1: yeah that's exactly right and you know I um uh, I'm sure you've seen it everybody's seen it there's this like uh meme on Instagram where it's like what people think success looks like and it's like this like perfectly linear curve and then it's like what it really looks like and there's like mm-hmm. alligators and snakes and all this stuff and that, that's pretty true. Like it, there's no rarely ever is there a just a perfect linear curve to the top of anything, right? Unless th- there are generational talents where people are just extra special and can really just do that, you know? Um, but for me, like looking back, the fun is in those, you know, all those cuts and juts and, you know, pitfalls. Like uh, my, my time in Europe was some of the most fun and easy going time of my life you know i didn't have a ton of money i didn't have um really much at all but we were going racing and we were having a good time my wife will tell you the same like those were some of the most fun easy simple times that we we've ever had and most people would look at most people like man i bet you hated being in europe and i'm like nope it was awesome like it was it was a great time you know so um there's the the fun is in the journey not really the the destination
0: That's what I was going to say. If you didn't say it. Yeah. It's all about the journey because everybody wants the destination, but you have to be in it for the journey. And like you enjoy, enjoy the process. Not, it's not just looking at the end goal because you'll never, it's hard to really get there if that's all you ever see. Right. It's like, you got to build those. And
1: when you get there, those, the, the destination, especially as a racer, like results wise is the, those, the destinations are pretty short, extent of time. It's like, you know, like an eight minute span where you're on the podium, and then that's that's the destination. And you're back to the journey. You know what I mean? So, if you're only living for those destinations, you're not going to live very much because they're just such short periods of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, so, anyway, back to your career. 2020, you win the outdoor 450 championship. I think in supercross, you did well too. You got like fifth or something.
1: Well, no, it wasn't great up until, um, so like I said earlier, I got hurt right before co- the COVID shut down. Um, the week, so it was Atlanta, Daytona, and then they stopped at Indy. So I was hurt. I was going to miss the rest of Supercross, and then COVID happened. And I got to ride for a couple of weeks before we went to Salt Lake and, um, that Salt Lake span that three weeks in Salt Lake was, was incredible for me. Um, I just, was in a really good spot. Um, we were camping at a campground right down the street. Like the kids were having a great time. Just everything was clicking. You know, it's one of those times in life where you're just like, yeah, this is great. Like it it, it was awesome. And, um, I enjoyed the racing. I got off to a good start with a fifth and then I got a podium and then, um, almost won a couple of races, then finally won that last round. And that kind of vaulted me, uh, into the outdoor season
0: yeah and outdoors you killed it you guys started at what Loretta's did the double header at Loretta's and you won yeah. one of those and got second at the other one I think
1: no I, I won both of them actually uh-huh. uh yeah uh went two one at the first one and then five one at the second one and um that just really set the tone you know I went from uh from Salt Lake where I won my first Supercross to wanting to win an outdoor to being a title favorite you know in in a in the span of a few weeks so um, it was tough mentally. It was a big, a big shift for me. You know, again, another one of those moments where you're like, do I belong here or do I not? You know, um, but after a couple of rounds, um, after Red Bud, when I went 1-1 and then got on the podium at the second round, it kind of was like, okay, now we're in the thick of this. Like, you know, you need to take this to the house or there may never, you know, you, ne- you never know when those opportunities are going to stop. Right. So um, yeah, that was that's what we did.
0: Yeah. I remember you chasing down Eli a couple of times and like, you know, the the announcers, I don't remember who it was, but they're like, Oh, you know, Eli never gives up a lead and you, you come from nowhere and chasing down and passing. Like you were on a mission that, that summer, you said that you kind of didn't know if you belong or not, but you then a couple of races later, you, you felt like you did. Was there, what was in between there? Like, did, was it just, just keep doing the work, just keep my head down, stay focused. Like, don't think about it, just go do it. Or, or like, what was that process?
1: Yeah. Um, at the third round in Indiana, I, um, I got arm pump really bad in the first moto and, uh, fell over with a lapper and just like, it was kind of started to feel a little grindy, you know, and the second moto I got a third was, was a decent ride. And, um, it just kind of ramped up from there, and then red, butt I went one one, and that was that was the moment where I was like, okay, like this is this is easy, this is legit, and that race was easy, like really easy for me. Like I was never in danger, kind of managing the gap from the front, really not even outside my comfort zone at, in any way. And uh, that was that was the point where it was like, okay, like this you you can do this, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's the pinnacle of the sport, man. To win an outdoor four fifty. Even a two fifty title—that's yeah like incredible. Because I think, to me, uh, Supercross is easier than outdoors. You can win yeah. a Supercross championship. Just it's eight races and the two fifty class. Yeah, yeah 450, yeah, 450 championship. Yeah, I mean that's gnarly. But the two fifty—it's like not that ever won one, but yeah. like it's it's eight races. They're fifteen minutes apiece. But an outdoor title is is gnarly. Yeah. Um, the so twenty twenty one last year you hurt your back and just said you're done with it
1: yeah there was some, not really i'm done with it there were some factors that kind of played into to it all and um it wasn't really the way i wanted it to end and i still don't really have great closure on it all you know it, it is it is what it is I, I still love to ride and um i'm i'm happy with where i'm at at the moment and um definitely wasn't like I said, the closure that we, we wanted or to sort of look for, um, after, especially after 2020 and the year that we had there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a tough thing. Um, I was, I was really close to being able to go racing, um, in January, but my deal was with, with bosses was if I couldn't go, uh, racing full time, full capacity, uh, at a one last year that I, I would stop. And, um, I, I kept my word you know i did what i what i said i would do and um took a retirement
0: but you're you're still racing so like you said you still like to ride and you're yeah you're not, i'm still riding white done yeah
1: yeah i'm not quite done I, i've got some things in the works and um you know i'm looking forward to next year and and the, the years to come i think there's a still a lot left for me and um, yeah I'm, I'm stoked with where we're at
0: cool um so a couple quick questions just because this is a power of the mind, and we like to talk about the mental stuff, which I know we've already covered a ton of it. But uh, what, and I think you may have already answered it, so you can give me a short answer, but um, one, what's what gives you a mental edge on the competition? Like, is there one thing that you would say that gives you a mental edge? And then two, do you work on that mental game? Like with, I know you said you do the breathing and everything, is there anything else you do with it?
1: Uh, for me, the mental edge was just, eliminating those factors, knowing that, yeah, you know, I had Snickers this week at anything that enters you that can enter your mind when you're sitting on the gate, that's a negative. You you got to eliminate those things, right? No matter what it is, whether it's diet or nutrition, you know, whatever, whatever it is, period, there just can be no negatives in your brain. Like you have to believe 100% that you are there for a reason and you deserve to win more than anyone else. And if you go out there and, and you, battle the whole moto and get second then that was also great you know because a lot of it for me was keeping it in perspective at all times where you know there were points in my life where i would have killed for a career uh, for a uh, podium at the supercross and then there were points at my in my career where i was pissed like legit pissed with the podium but that that also went into being happy with a podium again because i appreciated the opportunity for for a podium you know so there's just those like there's shifts to it all like you're, you're first you're trying to make a main event then you're trying to get a top 10 then you're trying to get a top five then you're trying to get a podium then you win and then then a podium's not good enough but the week before podium would have been great right so um it's a lot about for me was about keeping it in perspective and and understanding the opportunity that you have to be able to have that platform and just all the factors that have to go into it and that have to go right for you to be able to be there is is something that you have to appreciate and um have gratitude for. You know, um as far as the mental skills thing goes, the the harder you work and the better you do your business, take care of your, your business and take care of the details, the the stronger you're gonna be mentally, you know. Um people can tell you whatever you want to hear, you can listen to a tape of how good you are repeatedly or all of those things. But if the work's not done and the details aren't covered, it's not going to
0: happen. 100% agree with that one. Um, So what disempowers you? Like uh, obviously injuries is one, but is there anything that, that, I guess it's the things you're trying to eliminate
1: yeah, I think for me that was that was a big you know uh negative or whatever you want to say like just that I was so detail oriented or so um obsessive about it you know like but that was that was strength for me right like for some people that is annoying or you know they don't operate like that or they show up with whatever they feel like or whatever but for me you know, Zach Osborne is a business, right? Like I, I'm my own business. Like you don't see, you know, anybody that, you know, you don't see somebody like Mark Cuban, who's a billionaire. That's just like, yeah, business, whatever it'll be, what it's going to be. You know, he's handling business. He's doing the job he's, he knows all the numbers, you know? And that's, that's what, how I tried to handle myself as, you know, as a business like this, this, yeah, you guys are going go-karting tonight. Okay. Mm, is that my best business decision? No, it's not. Okay. So I'm going to go home and go to bed or, um, you know, engaging like on social media, is that, you know, arguing with somebody, is that my best look? No, it's not. So I'm just going to take it on the chin and move on, you know? So it's like, um, for me, just handling my business, it was so important for me.
0: Yeah. So then, <clears throat> being so detail oriented and having, and like trying to eliminate everything that could be a or could distract you. What happened when something happened that was out of your control? How did you mentally deal with that?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I guess where it was a negative, right? Like uh, when I had to face those things or I had to deal with those things, it was really important for me to like reset, which was uh, like the one half thing or, um, you know, just sitting down with my wife and discussing things or whatever the case is to kind of decompress those things so that I can reset and move on, you know, not letting them linger or not dwelling on them or, um, allowing them to continue to affect me. You know, it just, it's about getting over it quick and moving on.
0: Yeah. So, but what happened? What about when it's on the track? Like you made a mistake um, or God takes you out. Yeah. Or... That stuff,
1: that stuff never bothered me. Like I never, I never came back pissed. The the one time in San Diego, I was pissed that I fell right. Like that, that's the one time that sticks out of my mind where I was like, that was not like, you should not have fallen right there. That was not okay. And then I, I proceeded to have a meltdown, but, um, past that, I can't really say, especially like in the last six years where I've been like, oh, I'm such an idiot. You know, like I, I see guys like banging themselves on the head. Like when I'm like, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, that doesn't, doesn't resonate with me. So, um, I, I just never really got flustered by that stuff. Like you just pick your bike up and you go as far as you can and you try to fix it the next race. You know, you just keep, keep showing up.
0: Yeah. I think that's not, that's not normal. Really? Uh, no, I don't think so. Cause I think a lot of times, like you said, and I think you said San Diego, you crash and then you kind of melt it down because you were yeah. mad at yourself or whatever. And I see that a lot, which I've done it a lot, but I tried to, like, my thing is take a tear off, even if yeah. I don't have tear offs on, if I like make a big mistake or like something happens, it's like, I got to get focused just the, and because I practice it at home. Yeah. Just the seeing my hand go across my face, like, like I'm taking the tear off is like, and I might take 500 tear offs, yeah, you know, you know, uh, figurative tear offs in a race. Yeah. If that means you know, if I can't get my focus back, but I don't think it's normal for, for like you, you said it, you didn't have any trouble with it. I think a lot of guys struggle with it, and it's uh, but what we figured out was I take a tear off and, yeah. and I'm right back to it. So, um,
1: that's cool. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that have like coping mechanisms, like you know, touching their helmet or like things like that, but that just. I don't know why but that never really resonated with me like i never felt like i was pretty content to get up and leave that there in the corner you know what i mean like it just never really affected me
0: that's great if you can do it and maybe that's a coping technique for somebody it's like as you're getting back on the bike you you just imagine it's there you left it there yeah yeah i remember and where my tear off thing came from was carmichael I watched a ton of like you know bar to bar and all that and Carmichael and Stewart did it some too but Carmichael he would always adjust his helmet in there yeah always and I'm like what is he doing but it was like nope that's a reset that's for him that's a focus back in dude like get your stuff together yeah um so um two more things what what drives you
1: um first of all you know i've been put here with gifts right like I, i'm a very blessed man and i i have um been given gifts and like for me that's that's what i do like i let my light shine and um through through my riding and um second my family like i love my family the better i do on the track the more work i put into my life the the better off they're going to be um and their kids are gonna be and all that stuff so you know to me it's like generational um for riding and also like one of the biggest things is just the peace that i feel from riding like i love the the peacefulness of there's nothing more awesome to me than like a hundred degree day in florida where it's absolutely sucks and just pounding a moto at chrome like that's that is like just the zone for me. Like that's, that's peace for me. And, um, people, I I tell people that all the time and they're like, yeah, you're an idiot. Like that sounds terrible. Um, but for me, that's just where, where my, that's my, that's my spot, you know, um, the peace and understanding that I find from writing. And like I said earlier, like that's the closest I feel to God when I'm just at the, at the limit and there's nothing else in my mind, like it's just peace.
0: Yeah. You're an animal. You're not normal (laughs) because nobody, nobody, not many people enjoy a hundred degree days at Kroom. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's had to, have uh, contributed to your success because you know, other people don't want to put in the work and you're not scared to. Uh, so last thing, um, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self?
1: Find the fun. Like as soon as I found the fun in racing, like, uh, it changed everything for me. Um, I, you know, I think we all start because it's fun, right? But I, I really don't remember, like, and, and maybe no one does. Maybe no one remembers like riding as a kid and just having a blast. Like I remember riding my Z50 and dinking around, having a blast, you know. But I don't really remember racing, having a blast, and um, that's what it became for me. Like it just became so fun um, to go racing on the weekends and. Um, the group of people that I had around me were awesome. And um, the more fun I had, the better off I was and the better we did. So yeah, to me, you you have to find the fun and you have to keep it fun, even in the pressure situations. Um, and, and it is fun. Like for me, that was handling the details and doing the work and things were gonna be fun on the weekends.
0: Yeah, uh, find the fun. I wrote it down. I mean, That's, I know that that sounds, everybody's like, oh yeah, keep
1: it fun. You know, it'll be good. But like truly finding that spot where racing is fun is, is a, a special thing. And it's, it's not, uh, it's not nearly as cliche as it sounds.
0: No. And I think what people don't understand with that, it's not, that it doesn't mean go just throw whips all day. That means yeah. put the work in. So the weekend is the easy part,
1: right? Exactly. You know? it's
0: like, and, and then it is more fun. If the weekend is the hardest part, it's not that much fun uh-huh. because you're just struggling the whole time. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. I love it, dude. You've, uh, you've inspired me today. I've, <laughs> I've got so many notes I wrote down here, just of things that you've said. So it's been a lot of fun and I, I know I've kept you a long time, but I really appreciate no. your time. No, I enjoyed it. I uh, had a blast and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Yep, yeah, Sounds good, dude. We'll see you. Thank you. Man, Zach's a smart dude, ain't he? It's just cool to hear him talk about how the lows pretty much paved the way to his highs kind of like everything happens for a reason, which I believe 1000%, whatever you're going through, there's a positive to take from it and better days are ahead. You just got to keep your head up, keep going, keep working toward it. Um, Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And since you stuck around, I have that discount code for you. Go to powerofthemind.coach and at checkout, enter code prorider 50 all caps, no spaces for 50% off any of their programs. I use it. Other pros use it. And if your mental game isn't where you want it to be, then you should too. You're just doing yourself a huge favor because it helps in uh, not only in racing, but in all aspects of life. So anyway, that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in next week. Uh, We got a current GNCC champion and a rising star. So talk to you then.